Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nations Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of NRN. This is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week, I am talking with Landon Eccles. He is the CEO and co-founder with his wife, Kat, of the Charlotte, North Carolina-based franchise, Clean Juice. This certified organic juice and healthy eats chain has enjoyed fast growth since it first debuted in 2014, and it now boasts over 130 locations with 35 to 40 openings planned for 2023. To accommodate its growth, Clean Juice just made a huge brand pivot. It's no longer bottling its juices in-house, but rather has centralized that process in one facility using something called high-pressure processing. Landon joined the podcast to talk about why Clean Juice made that switch, the many ways in which it will benefit its franchisees, and why it's necessary to adapt your business as you scale. In this episode, you will learn more about the most significant issues with supply chain today, how your business will die if you don't grow with the economies of scale, and why sometimes you've got to be willing to kill your darlings. Jumping now into my interview with Clean Juice co-founder and CEO Landon Eccles. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my six takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. Have you heard about the California Food Service Instant Rebate Program? You can save up to $3,000 instantly on energy-efficient food service equipment when you purchase from participating dealers. Find out more at www.caenergywise.com slash instant-rebates and find a participating dealer near you. Skip the paperwork and save instantly on your food service equipment. That's www.caenergywise.com slash instant-rebates. Okay, Landon Eccles, the CEO and co-founder of Clean Juice. Landon, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Great to talk to you again. I, I think probably most of our listeners are familiar with your story by now. You guys are, have been on this rocket ship for a couple of years. How was 2022? How was growth for Clean Juice? Yeah, well, Sam, thank you so much for having me back on the podcast. So good to chat with you again. Um, just happy to be here. So thanks thanks one more time. Yeah. Um, you know, 2022 was a was a really good year in a lot of ways for Clean Juice. Uh, when just looking at the numbers, uh, we opened about 25 new doors, so that's super exciting. Um, we awarded another 40 plus franchises to new franchise owners and to some existing franchise owners. Um, so both of those numbers are really great. Um, sales have been good. You know, I think the hardest thing that everyone has been dealing with is just rising costs. So right. the middle of the PNL has been challenging this year, but it's been challenging for everyone. Um, but that's really kind of where we've been in terms of the, you know, big picture where clean juice is, uh, we're growing for sure. And it, it's been super exciting. All right. Let's talk about that middle of the PNL and yeah. the food costs. Cause you guys, I mean, food quality or ingredient quality, that's, this is your bread and butter. Cause you guys are doing organic ingredients for your juice obviously a ton of produce, which has been affected by inflation. Tell me about what that's looked like for you, how food costs have been and how you've been able to manage all of this. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's funny, like 
obviously anybody who runs restaurants knows how hard um, it is to keep your cost of goods at a level to where, you know, you can make some good money. And so that's just a daily grind of being in the restaurant business. Being mm-hmm. in organics, it definitely adds a layer of complexity to it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, yes, we're sourcing organic materials, but anybody who's sourcing food into their establishment is dealing with the same stuff. So we're, we're definitely held to a different standard because we are certified organic and, you know, not just our juices, but our smoothies and our acai bowls. I mean, everything that we do, our entire restaurant is certified organic. So I think the big rate limiting factor there for us is that, you know, if we want to use like a new sourdough bread to, you know, offer on our sandwiches, it's really hard to source that organically. And so mm-hmm. in this climate, it's been even more challenging to come up with innovative ways to, you know, improve our menu and things like that. doesn't mean we haven't done it. It's just been been way more challenging. And, you know, I think that all food costs are up. So I think that we're, I don't think we're feeling it disproportionate to, um, you know, other people who are running restaurants, but um, there are some things that have been super challenging, like when, when organic avocados have, you know, this massive issue in Mexico, it's really hard to source them and they're extremely expensive. So we have different ways we deal with that, but I don't think we're, we're, I don't think we're necessarily more challenged than other operators. We just have a, you know, a different standard. Do you have to find ways to, I don't want to say cut corners cause that sounds sort of slimy, but I mean, do, do you have to cut corners in some ways or sacrifice any sacred cows to get around it? Um, I don't, I, I don't, I would say no. I think that, you know, let's go back to the avocado example. Um, if, if, if the price of a avocado case goes from, you know, $80 to $180, like that's just not something our stores can carry. So what we'll do in those mm-hmm. instances is we'll quickly implement, Hey, anything that has avocado in it, whether it be a smoothie, a toast, a salad, whatever, it's a dollar extra, right? So we have to mm-hmm. give some of those costs back down to the guest, or we just can't serve the product. And so we've been pretty good at that being really nimble around menu pricing and making sure that if something is, you know, really drastically uh, out of the ordinary that, um, we pass it to the guests, but also with an explanation like, hey, you know, this has been really tough. And, you know, if you guys want avocado toast, which we know you like because it's our number one selling product, um, you know, we got to charge a dollar extra for it. Just a, just a simple example. Right. It, it does seem like consumers broadly are understanding of this. They're not holding it against restaurants like they might have in the past. I think we've seen some data that shows that somewhere around 10 to 15 percent is where most restaurants have increased prices, but that there's a breaking point kind of after that where, where consumers get mad. Does that seem does that align with what you guys are seeing, too, that your consumers just kind of go along with the flow because they know what the deal is today? Absolutely. You know, I think that consumers like the whole industry has taken price, right? I, don't, I haven't read, I haven't met a restaurant tour yet this year who hasn't taken price at least once. A lot of them took price maybe Q1, Q2, and they're taking price again. So mm-hmm. I don't know. We haven't taken price twice. We took it in the beginning of the year. And when I say that, um, you know, that's an industry term. I always want to be careful. Taking price simply just means that we raised our menu prices, right? We've taken right. price uh, into the equation to help offset uh, a lot of the expenses that are out there for us. Um, so we've had to, you know, I think that I think that a lot of consumers definitely understand, especially when you're serving a premium product that, hey, our number one goal is to serve an incredibly um, nutritious and healthy 
product in a great in a great manner every single time. We're not saying, hey, we're here to be you know the cheapest option, right? That's not one of our right. that's not one of the things that we market. Um, but with our new with our new juices, we're actually able to lower the price for the consumers. And I, I know we're going to talk a lot about that, which I'm excited about. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, price, taking price is definitely part of the equation. Well, looking out into to 2023, you guys obviously have scale now to where you can negotiate probably better prices, certainly maybe on, on the long term. But as you look into 2023, as you I don't, consult commodities experts or go to your resources, whatever it is, how do you plan ahead and anticipate where costs are going to be going in the year ahead? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, we are moving to a national account with Cisco um, that's okay. imminent. Um, right now, you know, I don't want to get into the nuts and the bolts of how Cisco works, but right now, basically, we started in North Carolina. So our kind of main uh, supplier through Cisco has been through Charlotte because that's that's where we are. But we're going to be moving mm-hmm. to a national account. And so that's that's actually going to help a lot with with these types of things. Um, I would say one of the biggest challenges has not just been in food, right? We talk about food a lot, but it's it's more of the packaged goods, right? Like getting mm. cups out of China and the straws and, you know, making sure that they're, you know, um, good for the environment. I mean, that's actually been one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge. It's like before you could go and you could price compare uh, all the different plastics that are out there. But now a lot of these guys aren't even taking on new business and they're actually canceling a lot of business just because of, um, you know, the supply chain issues around how those plastic cups and things are made. So sure. I'd say that's been one of the biggest challenges. Like how do we, how do we keep a cohesive brand, making sure that each brand is printed with the right cup and the right straw. I mean, all that stuff is really important, right? If you go to a clean juice and you get a smoothie and the straw is too small, well, you can't drink the smoothie. That's a huge problem for the guest. And it's like, that's such a micro thing that actually creates this massive issue. Um, so mm-hmm. that, I think that's actually been one of the biggest challenges that we've faced. And those little details can go a long way with cus- customers who then have the power to reflect on that on your reviews online yeah. and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So there have been a lot of creative solutions, I mean, for a lot of various challenges for the last couple of years. The industry is just so resilient and having creative solutions to getting around some of these things. You guys have come up with a solution now for your um, for processing your juices that I think is interesting because I imagine it helps with a lot of these challenges that you're dealing with. I, 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 don't fully understand how it works. So I'm going to let you do the explanation. Uh, yes. I know the initials are HPP, high, high power <laughs> processing. Um, tell me what this is and why this is something you guys are implementing. Okay. So big picture, right? One of our, one of our leading menu categories is cold pressed juice, right? What that mm-hmm. simply is, is the bottled juice that we sell in our stores. You walk into a clean juice, we have a fridge, you can grab a bottle of juice. We have orange, red, green, and all these different flavors of juices. Before this year, all of those juices were made in the back of every single clean juice location. So store owners, franchise owners um, had to buy a $25,000 piece of machinery to juice, to just juice the product. Uh, They had to source all the materials to make the juice. And when I say materials, I mean uh, raw uh, produce, right? To make the materials. They had to source the bottles. They had to source the labels. Uh, They had to hire somebody to run that machine. They had to press press juice every time they wanted to fill their fridge. And it was an extremely tedious and laborious um, part of our business, right? Most QSR restaurants are a QSR restaurant. We were a QSR restaurant plus a mini manufacturing facility in the back of the restaurant, right? So we're Mm. essentially running two businesses. 
Well, because we have now over 130 open locations, we've hit this scale to where we're literally producing millions and millions of bottles of juice per year. In our business, if you are not growing with the economies of the scale that you're creating, you are dying, right? So for us, we knew that that was a rate limiting factor for our franchisees to grow. They're like, we are stuck in the back of our stores making juice all the time. And if we have a cold presser, if that person doesn't show up, it, it falls on me. It was just one of those things where our franchisees kept raising their hand saying, this is a really tough process. We get that the juice is important, but it's really hard to grow our business in this way. So mm-hmm. what we did this year is we went out, went out we talked to several different um, farms and manufacturers about how we could centralize this. We found one. It's in California. What's cool about this farm is that they actually grow the majority of the materials uh, that we need to make our juice. So they grow it, they pick it, they clean it, and they juice it right on site at their farm. They bottle it for us. They, it's still cold-pressed juice, right? So we're still offering premium organic cold-pressed juice. They're mm-hmm. labeling it, uh, and then they're HPPing it. That's a different part of the process that we've never done before. What HPP does, Sam, is it basically... It takes the juice after it's already made, it puts it in this cylinder, and then that cylinder goes under a ton of pressure underwater. So the cylinder literally fills up with water. And the amount of pressure that goes into the goes onto the this this container is five times the amount of pressure of that's at the bottom of the ocean, right? So just an immense amount of pressure. What's cool about that is that Bad bacteria cannot live in that underneath that pressure, but all the good organisms, all the, all the nutrients, it all stays intact. So it's like this Mm. incredibly amazing technology because with heat pasteurization, you're actually cooking out the nutrients. Like basically what you're, what like you, you end up with, like with a Tropicana or, you know, whatever you want to say is, is something that's kind of like sugar water, right? That tastes like orange juice because of that heat pasteurization. So there's no heat that's used. And that's always been our brand promise, right? We're going to offer cold pressed juice. We still offer cold pressed juice. Now it's just been HPP to preserve the shelf life so that we can ship it to our franchisees and they can sell it in their stores. Oh, and by the way, instead of it lasting four days on the shelf, it now lasts up to 30 days on the shelf. So they can, they're not throwing juice out. So it's such a better operating model for our franchise owners. Sure. Yeah, I imagine this must really help with labor in that you can refocus your labor. You might be able to, able to downsize your labor in the stores, right, by implementing this? Absolutely. So no no longer is there a need for a cold-pressed juicer, right? And they're typically one of the higher-paid people in the store because it's a pretty, um, you know, it's a laborious job and it, it takes a certain skill set to run that to run that piece of machinery. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't need that. And obviously, you know, uh, we, we if, if that person was, you know, working maybe that job, we've offered them different jobs and whatnot. But I think what's what's great about what we've done is that instead of, you know, having a cold press juicer or the owner or the manager juicing, well, now they have time to focus on the front end of the store, the guest experience, driving the catering, getting out into their community. Um, so many times all of that stuff fell by the wayside because they were making juice in the back. Mm-hmm. And our, our store owners are now kind of getting back out there and kind of coming up out of the juice, right? And they're able to get out there and, and actually talk about everything that we do, which is really yeah. cool. How significant were the changes to the supply chain here? Because, I mean, I imagine then mo- everything that was going to the stores, you're redirecting through this plant in California. How much work did you have to put into changing this? Was it complicated to figure all this out? 
Yeah, and that's still ongoing, right? Because we still mm-hmm. use a good amount of fresh uh, fresh produce in our stores. We still offer freshly made juices. So if somebody wanted to come in and they didn't want a bottled juice, we could still we still have a, a countertop juicer where we can you know grab a bunch of produce and, and make them a freshly made juice. We still offer that. Um, so there's definitely been um, you know some some, I wouldn't say tricky, but just some understanding of how much we were using versus how much we're using now. And uh, there, there's definitely some learnings there, but so far we've been able to manage it. And, you know, we still have a bunch of fresh produce for salads and smoothies and juices, et cetera. I'm curious from the customer standpoint of their opinion on this, because so much of why you make things in house is because of sort of that quality promise. Now, as I understand this, you're not losing any quality here. But do you have to communicate that to the guests because they're not seeing it anymore in the stores? What's the relationship like with the guest and how they might see something like this and, and, and be concerned that it's not, you know, scratch made or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, it's, it's such a great question. And it's one that Kat and I, you know, my wife and I co-founder really kind of grappled with over the past couple of years in thinking about going to a process like this. You know, first and foremost, we have to take Um, and now that, I mean, we literally serve millions of guests a year, right? So we have to take safety above and beyond anything else. Um, when stuff is scratch made and it's made individually at a store level, you're adding in layers of risk, right? Was the, you know, was the produce that was used, was it clean the right way? Was it, you know, there, there's so much, there's so many things that could go wrong in there and thank God nothing ever went wrong at clean juice. We've never had any kind of an issue, but the more people you have involved, the more places you have making juice inherently, the more things that could go wrong. And that, that just overall makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were serving an, a raw product and, you know, we did that for a while and that was what we did and it was great. But now that this technology, this HPP technology exists and has improved over time, we literally get to offer all of the same benefits, right? Still cold pressed, still organic, still great tasting, still nutritious, but because it's pressurized, we get to take out so much of the risk uh, of, of mm-hmm. you know, serving any kind of food product. And us and that for us, as we've scaled, is number one. I'd say number two is when you have 130 stores making juice, if they don't follow the recipes across the board at every single store, you're going to have a variation of the product, right? And we found that. Pat and I would go to a store in Florida She's a big proponent of our green juice. She she drinks a green juice every single day. She'd go to Florida. It tastes a little different, right? We'd go to Colorado. It would taste a little different. She'd come back home to North Carolina. It would taste a little different. Well, now it's all being made in one place. So we actually get to offer, um, you know, a more consistent product across the board. And I think guests mm-hmm. really appreciate that, right? Like when yeah. you're used to something and you like it, you want it at every single clean juice store. And we actually were not hitting on our brand promise with that. That was a big mm-hmm. deal for me. Um, lastly, I would say, because we now control the production and the supply chain of those products, we actually get more juice into our stores, uh, more effectively and more efficiently. So instead of a franchise owner needing to, uh, press juice to sell it on the shelf, all they have to do is order it through Cisco, through our broadliner and it shows up the next day. So inherently, unless there's a stock out or something we did wrong on the back end, every store should have juice all the time. So we actually have more offerings for our guests, which I think they're really encouraged about. We hear probably 10 to 20 great pieces of uh, feedback versus one one thing that's critical on on these new products. And and it's probably Mm -hmm. better than that. 
I mean, clearly you this is this is an efficiency situation, right? I mean, you're you're finding such incredible efficiencies here because I imagine you're reducing waste. You're, um, I'm guessing saving on costs. Tell me about the cost piece of this because it's a big change, but ultimately because you're centralizing everything, there must be a real ability to manage the costs a lot more than you were before, right? Yeah. When you look at actual costs of what, you know, when I think about costs, I got to think about the store level, right? Down Mm -hmm. to the four walls. How does it affect the four walls? Um, our, our franchise owners can now order this juice to be shipped to their location, and they're going to make about the same amount of money, if not a little bit more than they were before. And that's mm-hmm. a huge feat, right? Because they don't have to make it. It gets shipped to them. All they have to do is unbox it and put it on the shelf. So we've taken out all of that labor. So anything, like obviously the cost of goods on the products that we're shipping in is a little bit more expensive, but there's no labor involved, right? So you got to look at the whole picture. There's no waste or the waste should be very, very little because they're selling through. Actually, I don't think any store has thrown out anything yet. We just launched this probably, uh, I'd say system-wide a couple months ago, but I mean, so far the waste has been minimal. And before we were throwing out up to 20% of the juice that we were making, that's extremely Uh, inefficient, right? So when you think about all of these things and the fact that they don't have to make it and they're making similar profits at the store level, it's a win-win for sure. Sure. So I imagine your franchisees are are thrilled with this. Um, How does this unlock growth opportunities? Because, and, and, and you know, I, I've just been amazed at the industry because in a lot of my conversations in the last several months, it's just sort of a similar theme. I mean, to go through all of what the industry's gone through, these creative solutions around efficiencies, I mean, ultimately, <clears throat> you're saving costs, you know, you're increasing your profitability. That has to do something for your growth pers- perspectives, right? I mean, tell me yes. about what this could do for Clean Juice and where you guys go from here. Well, just a quick comment on that. It's so funny, like prior to 2020, no one knew unless you were the in the industry how hard the restaurant industry was. And now everyone knows how hard it is. And right, that's just yeah. a good thing, right? Because mm-hmm. like prior to 2020, you'd have a guest come in and they would just be upset with you about whatever. And it's like, they just, they you, you don't fully understand something until you're fully in something, right? Mm-hmm. And so now I think because of people just saw how hard the restaurant industry was hit specifically because of COVID and and inflation and all the things that we, we've dealt with, I think people just have a broader understanding and appreciation of what we do, um, which I think is good for everyone, right? And so mm-hmm. obviously we don't want to offer a less of a guest experience. Like our, our brand standard is to it, you know, please every guest every single time. But at the same time, we got to give each other grace, especially in hard times. And I think that the general you know population and public has learned that, hey, restaurant restaurateurs uh, are inherently, you know, tough operators and they have to be. And we, you know, we appreciate them a little bit more these days. So just wanted mm-hmm. to, you know, I'll hop off my soapbox now, but just, you know, I think it, I think if there's anything that's been good over the last couple of years, I think it's that people appreciate restaurants just a little bit more and all that we go through to, to serve them a great product. Right. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, in terms of what could be our potential growth, um, we now have a really a consumer packaged good that we're selling inside of clean juice. Have we thought about taking it on our website? Have we thought about selling it to other retailers? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I always caveat with that was saying like, I would never want to sell, you know, in a retail location that's right next to a franchise store. I don't want to compete with my franchisees. That's absolutely not my goal. 
but there's so much white space out there, right? We have 130 locations. That's a lot, but you know, there's 350 million consumers in the United States, right? And we're not serving all of them. So how do I get juice to, you know, places that we don't have any stores like Wyoming or or wherever? Um, We're working through that right now. We absolutely see a big opportunity on that. This, you know, first caveat I'm always going to ask the team is, hey, are we competing with our franchisees in any way? And if so, we got to figure that out. Um, That's Mm -hmm. not the goal. But I think when we grow the brand together, everyone wins. And if we make clean juice and continue to make clean juice more of a household name, our store sales will go up. And so Mm -hmm. we're always balancing that. Sure. How might this also change your approach to other efficiencies across the rest of the clean juice menu? Because guessing it was a big decision to switch to HPP that, that feels like you're changing a big part of your, your core business model. Again, I've had these conversations recently with folks where they, they just had to take a step back and say, you know, what, what can I, what about this isn't working? And it became an unlock to great potential. Do you, do you look within the business model even more now though? Are there more efficiencies you can find with your juices or your food items on the menu at clean juice that you've discovered is possible because of this HPP thing? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny. I think one of the, one of the scariest things to say in businesses, uh, we've always done it that way, right? It's like, well, Mm -hmm. that doesn't always work. And so we have to adapt with the times and we just have to get smarter Um, and so for us, like, you know, our brand promise is that we're going to be, uh, healthiest, right. Certified organic. We're going to offer an incredible experience and, you know, we're a faith-based organization. We care a lot about the guests who walk into our doors, right. That, that is the three things that we really, you know, talk about Mm -hmm. out in the marketplace. Um, you know, how we make our wraps, how we make our sandwiches, the way that we're doing it now, could that be improved? Absolutely. Is that going to hinder our brand promise? Absolutely not. And so I believe that we're actually furthering our brand promise in the way that we have developed these juices. And I think we can absolutely do it across other menu categories. And it's what we're looking at right now. Um, If we can stay true to who we are and improve and get and actually deliver a better guest experience, uh, then we're winning everywhere. And so, you know, I believe that you have to know what you're good at and what you want to do, but you also have to know where to improve. And so that's what we're doing. Sure. Landon, last question for you. What should we expect from Clean Juice in 2023? Yeah, in 2023, uh, we're going to open another, I'd say, 35 to 40 doors, uh, which is really exciting. Um, you know, obviously we have a recession that could be looming. I think the beautiful thing about what we do is that we offer healthy food and there's always a consumer for that. And there's actually always a franchisee for that. And so franchisees actually franchises sell more franchises during recession than they do typically, uh, not in recessions. Why? Because people want to take their career into their own hands. And so we're obviously looking for folks who want to join that mission, who want to offer a truly healthy product into their communities, especially if it doesn't exist. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we're just going to keep growing. We're going to keep, you know, pushing the brand forward. I have uh, just hired a new CFO who's doing incredibly well. I continue to build my leadership team and um, we're just excited about the future. So, you know, our, 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 our 10th core value is that we're not stopping here. We're just getting started. And that's how we're going to run the business in 2023. That's great. Well, we're excited to follow along Landon Eccles, CEO and co-founder of clean juice. Thanks again for joining me today. I appreciate it, Landon.
Have you heard about the California Food Service Instant Rebate Program? You can save up to $3,000 instantly on energy-efficient food service equipment when you purchase from participating dealers. Find out more at www.caenergywise.com slash instant-rebates and find a participating dealer near you. Skip the paperwork and save instantly on your food service equipment. That's www.caenergywise.com slash instant-rebates. That was my interview with Clean Juice co-founder and CEO, Landon Eccles. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my six takeaways. My first takeaway is that if your brand promise is a high-quality or nutritious menu, your customer will forgive you for taking price. Everybody has done this this year. You've raised your menu prices. You have been forced into doing that. But as Landon stressed in our conversation, they would rather you do that than pay for a lesser quality item. So if you have considered cutting corners or scaling back or rolling out some lesser quality ingredients for what you call a premium item, don't do that. Instead, raise your prices because your customer is going to forgive you. They're coming to you for a premium item. So just communicate to them why you have to increase prices in order to accommodate that. My second takeaway is that the bigger issue with supply chain today might actually be packaging and utensils. Yes, we have an issue with food costs and food transportation and being able to source certain ingredients, but Landon was talking about the issues with getting the right plastics and utensils and cutlery. It's really hard today, and as he said, some companies are are not taking new clients because they're having supply chain issues, and this can add up to very big problems. One that he mentioned was that if they have too small of a straw for their smoothies, you can't get the smoothie up the straw and it turns into this massive headache. You might be dealing with that that with your in your own business, but it seems like today as we talk about supply chain, we should be looking at a lot of the issues with packaging, with utensils, plastics, things like that. My third takeaway is that if you are not growing with the economies of the scale that you're creating, you are dying. That's a direct quote from Landon from this conversation that I really liked. You know, the point is that Clean Juice is scaling. They're continuing to scale. They're becoming a very large business with millions of juices sold every year. They couldn't continue to hand press this juice in their restaurants. They needed to make a pivot. They had to become more efficient. And as they create these economies of scale, there are doors opening to them that they can do that. And so that's why they switched to this high pressure processing or HPP for their juices. They're able to centralize production of one of their core products. In the end, it has a ton of benefits beyond simply saving each franchisee the time and resources resources in-house. But the point is, is that they had to make this decision because of that scale they've created and they had to really embrace it. The bigger you get, the more customers are going to look for consistency, the more your franchisees will look at profitability. And so you have to make some of these decisions. My fourth takeaway is that you should not be afraid to kill your darlings. 
What does that mean? That's a, a, a term that's often used for writers. We talk about this uh, in, in the writing industry, and it's often attributed to the author William Faulkner. Uh, the point is, is that especially with writers, you grow really attached to some of your characters in your stories. You grow really attached to maybe a setting or a plot line. But as a writer, you have to ruthlessly edit. You have to commit to the story you're trying to do in the long run, and that sometimes requires you to kill your darlings. I thought that was a, a good parallel to what's going on here at Clean Juice. They started by bottling their juices in-house. It was part of their high-quality commitment. They have control over the process. Customers can watch employees doing that. But they had to pivot for the sake of their franchisees, and they will be better off for it. Now, actually, by switching to this HPP process, they have higher quality juices, and Landon says actually is better for the nutrients in the juices. They relieve the franchisees of this labor. They're able to redirect the labor. It's a better operating model. It's more efficient. It, it cuts back on waste. Uh, it takes out variation in the product. So if you go to a clean juice in Florida and a clean juice in Colorado and a clean juice in North Carolina, you get the same product. They had to make that big decision to kill their darling, which is that in-house processing or in-house bottling of their juices in order to get there. And that's something you should probably consider for your own business. My fifth takeaway is that you have to look at the whole picture when making a significant brand change. So, of course, when they switch to this AP, HPP juice processing, uh, clean juice, they, they had to pay slightly more for the shipping. But again, they looked at all the other ways in which this is helping the brand and helping the franchisees, many of which I just mentioned. They had to look at that whole big picture when they made this decision because at the end, it's a net positive. So when you're making a switch in your own business, don't just look at numbers, costs, profitability. Look at all the other things, labor, waste, efficiency, time, ease of operating. All of these things factor into whether or not you should make a change. My sixth and final takeaway is that the worst thing you can say is we've always done it that way. Again, that's a quote from Landon that I really liked. If you're just doing the same things over and over because that's just the way they've been done, you might be doing it wrong, right? You have to adapt with the times. You have to do things in a way that is best for the business. And that means sometimes making big changes. Don't just say, we've always done it that way. Therefore, we will continue to do it this way. Really reevaluate the things you're doing, the processes, the systems, um, your production, and look at them closely to see if there's more ways, uh, any other ways you can do this more efficiently and commit to the change because just because you've always done it that way does not mean it's the right way to do it. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.ocus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.